This is episode 82, Why Investors Are Irrational. Welcome to the Loon Investing Podcast. My name is Rignesh. I'm a teacher, a former trained engineer, and a very passionate value investor. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring messages, tips, and ways to help you improve your investing skills and live the life of true abundance as you learn the art of value investing. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Now, let the class begin. What is up, Dillon Nation? Now, why are investors so irrational? Now, that's a good question. As much as we like to think that we are rational, but in reality, we are not. Right? All of this are due to this thing called behavioral biases. And a wide range of these biases can really affect your decision making without you even knowing it. And it can potentially affect your investment decisions as well. That is why in this episode, we are going to explore why investors are so irrational. What are the three most common biases that affect our decision making? And what can we do about it? But before we begin, I want to say that if you find this podcast beneficial to you, don't forget to subscribe and share it with someone who you think will benefit from this as well. I believe the world will definitely be a much better place when we start loving, giving and sharing. And that, my friend, is my definition of abundance. So when you're ready, let's get started. Now, the first behavioral bias is called overconfidence bias. And this is pretty straightforward, right? Have you ever met someone who thinks that they know more than others or they know more than you, right? Someone who thinks that they are better or they are even smarter than the average people. Now, if you have not met anyone like that, then chances are you are the person. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the bias, this bias is pretty straightforward and it is the tendency to hold misleading beliefs of our own skills, our own intellect, or as well as our own talent, right? It makes us believe that we are better than the person we actually are. And this can be a very dangerous bias when it comes to investing. There was a survey that's been conducted by this person called James Montier. I hope I pronounced it correctly. But anyway, so this person, James, he surveyed 300 professional fund managers. Right, and he asked them if they believe themselves to have above average in terms of their ability to pick stocks. Right, so they, he did this survey among 300 professional fund managers. And out of the 300 of these uh, fund managers, 74% of them believe that they are above average at investing. 74%, right? And the remaining 26%, most of them thought they were average. Right. So looking at this, you will know that nobody thought that they were below average. No one thought they were below average. But when you look at their investing results, it shows otherwise. That is why it is so important to identify this bias because it's, it actually affects all of us, whether we like it or not. It's more important for us to be aware of this because more people are not even aware of this. And when you're not aware of this, you're going to make this mistake of thinking that you are better than average. You're better than the normal investors, right? And you don't want to fall into this trap because this is the overconfidence bias. Now, let's talk about one of the best 
hedge fund managers out there. And his name is Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio, he is a billionaire and he's also the founder of the world largest hedge fund, Bridgewater and Associates, right? And even he commented saying that uh, being overconfident can lead to disastrous results. And there's an interview that he did with Forbes and he actually attributed a significant amount of his success actually came from him just avoiding this overconfidence bias. And this is what he said. I knew that no matter how confident I was in making any single bet, that I could still be wrong. And so that's what he said. And if anybody wants to be overconfident, it should be this guy, right? He's so talented at what he does and it should be him. But even he himself is very much aware of avoiding this overconfidence bias. So what does he do about it? How do you overcome it? So what Ray Dalio does is that he, whenever he makes any bet, whenever he makes any investment, he always considers the worst case scenario, right? And based on the worst case scenario, he will take appropriate steps to minimize his risk of losing, right? So that is what he does. And that is what made him so successful until today. Right, so that is the first one, which is overconfidence bias. The second bias is known as anchoring bias. Now, anchoring bias happens when we rely too much on pre-existing information or the first piece of information that we come across and using that information to make our decision. So for example, let's say you you want to buy this one, you saw this one particular shoe that you really, really like. Okay, so the first time you saw this shoe, it was in a store and it was selling at $1,200. $1,200. So in your head, you're thinking, this is so expensive. $1,200 for a pair of shoes is too expensive. Now, as you continue, you know, walking, shopping, you went to another store and you saw the same exact shoe, same design, but now they're selling it for $400. Now, when you look at the $400, you think the $400 shoe is cheap, correct? But... If you came across the second shoe first, if you came across the $400 shoe first, you probably wouldn't think that it's still cheap, right? Because $400 for a pair of shoes is still expensive. So looking at this $1,200, this $1,200 price tag acts as an anchor and it influences your decision making. Because now after seeing the $1,200, you think the $400 is cheap, right? So this is what we call anchoring bias. And it can be a problem for investors, especially when we're deciding the buying price of a stock or a company, okay? Say, let's say you, you want to buy this one particular stock that, you know, you just love this company so much, you're dying to buy this stock, right? Let's say this stock is, let's say the company is Amazon, for example, okay? So Amazon is about $3,000. So let's make it, let's round it up to $3,000. So you saw this, uh, you want to buy this company, and you went to look for the stock price and it's $3,000. And you notice that this stock price has been going up higher and higher and higher for the past, what, five, three, three to five months. It's been going higher and higher and higher. And all of a sudden, one day, this stock, something happened to the company, something happened to Amazon, and the, the stock price went down by 5%. Okay, so 5%, which is about 2850 Right, so now the stock price is 2850 and you're thinking this is the best time to buy. Why? Because it's been going up, you know, for the past five, three to five months 
and it, now it's $3,000 and finally it went down by 5% and you think that 2850 is cheap. Why? Because the anchoring price was $3,000 and if you seem like it, it seems as if the stock is going higher and higher and it's too expensive, right? If I don't buy it now, it's it's now or never, right? So you the anchoring bias happens when you saw the, the first price itself, the $3,000. And because of that, you think that you're saving $150 because you're buying it at $2,850. But whether it's still cheap, whether it's still undervalued, it's still based on your, it should be based on your analysis, not based on the stock price. And so this is what we call as anchoring bias. So how do you avoid this anchoring bias. How do you avoid this? There is no easy way to avoid this. It's more important for you to be aware of this bias. And you ask yourself before making any major decisions, are you being affected by this bias? So that you are more aware of it, right? But if you are referring to, let's say, company valuation, so you can choose to avoid this bias by not looking at the stock price, right? If you want to make decide what is the entry price, what is the buying price, and you want to avoid this bias, then you should not look at the stock price. Because if you look at the stock price, that will become a bias. That will be an anchor, right, for you to decide when it's cheap, when it's expensive. So instead of looking at the stock price, what you can do is you can use proper valuation method, such as what discounted cash flow, uh, discounted earnings, and so on. And using all this uh, framework or proper valuation method to determine your entry price because when you're calculating based on when you're using all of this uh, framework you're actually calculating based on your the fundamentals of the business right instead of the stock price because stock price is just market sentiment it's just based on the market it's not based on the fundamentals of the business so that's why it's always better to use a proper valuation method right so that's the second bias which is anchoring bias now the third bias is called herd mentality bias so herd mentality bias happens when investors, we follow or we copy what other investors are doing, right? So this usually happens when we are influenced by emotion or by instinct rather than making our own analysis, right? It's not an independent analysis. Instead, we are following what others are doing. And this mainly influenced by emotions. So for example, let's say you're looking for a place to eat. Now you're very hungry, you're looking for a place to eat. And you saw two restaurants that you want, you know, looks good. The food in the, the food that they are selling looks good, right? So there are two restaurants. The first restaurant is crowded with people, a lot of people. And the second restaurant has a lot of empty tables, right? Open tables, but nobody is there, right? Not many people. So now, will you go for the f- first restaurant or the second restaurant? Chances are many of us will go for the first restaurant. Why? Because there, there are more people there, right? So if your analysis, if your understanding only stop at because there are a lot of people there, then you are being affected by herd mentality bias, right? Because just because there are a lot of people there doesn't mean anything. So if you are someone who is more rational, then your thinking might be a bit different. So what you do, what you think is you might choose the first restaurant because there are more people there and because there are more people there, there is a high, higher probability that the food in the store, in that sh- restaurant is much better, right? So that is your analysis. So that is being more rational instead of just saying that, oh, there are more people there. So if you're saying that there are more people there, that is why you're choosing that restaurant. So it means you are essentially making your decision based on others, 
right? So you're not being rational. So what if you are deciding to choose the first restaurant because it has more people and more people, it means the food is better. Okay, that is, I would say, more rational. So it depends on how you think, right? So that can be a problem for investing, right? When it comes to investing, this bias, um, herd mentality bias can lead to bubbles, right? Just think about the dot-com bubbles. Many of these companies during the dot-com bubble, right? Many of these dot-com companies, they didn't even have a financially sound business model. But what happened? Many people still bought into them because everyone else is buying into them, right? So that can be a problem. And the main reason is because we cannot deny the fact that we humans, we are social animals, right? So we are prone to follow the crowd. And that is what keeps us alive for so many years. And that's what, you know, makes us feel accepted. That's why uh, things can go viral. That's why there are so many trends going on. Because people are following what others are thinking, right? They are following the crowd. And it can be very tough for us to go against the crowd. And in fact, there is this one psychological study that showed that regularly being a contrarian, let's say you are an investor and you want to be a contrarian investor, just by being a regular contrarian investor or encouraging others to be a contrarian investor, is like breaking your arm on a regular basis which you can learn from this uh, Morningstar interview with James Montier. Hello, James. Hi. So I've just heard your really interesting talk on contrarian investing, and you told us an anecdote, which is apparently contrarian investing causes you physical pain. Yeah, there's a great uh, brain study um, by um, Eisenberger and, and Lieberman, and um, they set up a, a computer game where um, they managed to, to simulate social exclusion. So you had uh, three players playing, except two of them were a computer. And at one point, they dropped playing with the, the one person who's involved. Uh, and they were scanning people's brains when they were doing this. And what they found was that the parts of the brain that respond to that exclusion, that, that uh, being ostracized, were exactly the same parts of the brain that effectively light up when you feel real physical pain. So being a contrarian, following a value-based approach is, in essence, like having your arm broken on a really regular basis. Now, we all know it's hard. You know, it, we, it's, we like to have a sheep, a herd mentality. We don't like to stick out from the crowd. But that's taking it, you know, illustrating how extremely difficult it is. So how do we overcome that difficulty in order to be successful investors? I think that's the, the real challenge. And it, it, it requires a couple of different things. I think it requires an institutional framework that supports it because it isn't just about human behavior. It's the combination of uh, our behavior plus institutional impediments. And therefore, if you can remove the institutional impediments, then you can worry about the behavior. From a behavior point of view, I think there are a number of ways you can really seek to turn your behavioral shortcomings to, into advantages. Uh, Danny Kahneman uh, has a, a wonderful expression, which is if you cannot de-bias, re-bias. And people think it's very easy to stop uh, behavioral problems. It's not. They're, they're, they are a byproduct of the way the brain works. So they're, they're ingrained. So rather than try and stop them, the better way of dealing with them is to turn them to your advantage. So I think a, a really useful thing for a contrarian to have is uh, evaluation framework. 
because that forces you to behave at a certain point in time. So uh, let's say 2007, uh, if you're using a valuation-based framework, you looked at the world and it looked hideously expensive. There was just no opportunity. Why would you want to invest in that world? You should have been sitting in uh, a lot of cash and, and dry powder. Conversely, by 2009, um, the opportunity set was looking very rich. Everything was, was really cheap. And so we were very excited as investors. The advantage of having that framework is it's a first step. It forces you to say, well, these things are cheap. Why aren't I buying them? And the reason you're not buying them, of course, and the reason they got cheap is because every newspaper is full of stories saying the world could end tomorrow. And it seems perfectly plausible that it could. But ultimately, you have to say, well, I'm going to bet the, the percentages. I'm going to go with the, the forecast framework we have, which says these things are cheap. Because whenever an asset class or even a particular fund has a fantastic year, of course, it's the following year where you see incredible inflows into that asset class or, or individual fund. So what you're saying then is actually we need to remove the emotion from investing. Absolutely. We need to all become robos. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's really hard to do. Uh, so John Templeton used to do all of his work on what he called cold days when there wasn't anything happening in the market. He'd do his analysis and say, OK, I think this stock is worth X. Um, because he knew on a, on a hot day, when, when things were falling apart in the market, he wouldn't have the discipline to do that. And I think that's another really good kind of pre-commitment strategy. Do your work when you're not feeling emotional, so that when you are, it doesn't matter, because you've already done the work. And you've got it there, and you say, well, I think intrinsic value is this. The only thing that has changed is price. Therefore, I should be reacting to this. James, thank you very much. My pleasure. So how do you avoid this bias? So just like what James Montier said, have a framework and discipline yourself to follow the framework. So when you're valuing a company, let's say, use a framework, right? If you if the company shows that it's too overvalued, then be patient, right? Wait for the right time to invest. When you don't have a framework, that's when you you know things go haywire because now you don't have the discipline anymore, right? You're not being rational. You succumb to the in emotion, right? So th that, is, that is why you are bound to make this uh, kind of mistake, right? Hurt mentality bias. You're affected by hurt mentality. I mean, just think about it. When you are panicking, right? Let's say you are panicking or you're angry or you're being emotional. Is it easy for you to think rationally? Do you go like, hmm, maybe I should think about it more rationally. Do, you, don't, you don't do that, right? You don't think rationally when you're filled with emotion, Right? That is why to prevent you from making any emotional decision, we want to rely on the framework. Right, So that whatever, whatever you do, every action you take is based on the framework. So you're being very rational. So when you design a framework that helps you decide rationally, then you don't have to worry about all of these biases. right? Because you're not allowing emotions to take over. Right? Even though you're panicked, even though you're panicking, it doesn't affect you. Why? Because you're following this framework, right? So that is why it's so important to have the framework. So these are some of the most common biases that really affect us as investors. And I think it's a very interesting topic. Perhaps maybe I should do maybe a part two podcast of this, another episode to cover some of the other biases because I think it will be really useful for you guys to be aware of these biases. And at the same time, it will be a reminder for me as well and I wouldn't want to make this episode too long because I've gotten some feedback saying that, you know, the episodes are too long and I'm just doing my best to keep it uh, lesser than 20 minutes. But if let's say I exceed 20 minutes, is I will try my best to make it lesser than 30 minutes. But anyway, if you want to find out more about behavioral finance, like anything about all of these biases, 
you can check out our website, dilun.com. We're actually giving away free book on, one of it is actually behavioral finance. The title is How Behavioral Finance Can Strengthen Your Investment. So you can check out that book if you want to know more about behavioral finance or you can stay tuned for more in the upcoming episodes. So that is all from me. If you find this episode insightful, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Also, if you have any questions in mind that you'd like to ask, feel free to send us your questions at dilun.com and I'll do my best to get them answered. Until next time, take care you guys. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure you share it with someone who you think will benefit from this. Remember, you have the power to change someone's life by sending them this message and becoming the light in their darkness. Also, if you want to help me spread this message of value investing, click the subscribe or follow button. It will allow this message to reach even more people who need to be inspired. So click the subscribe or follow button and leave a review right now. And I want to close this with a quote that I love so very much by Zig Ziglar. It goes like this. You don't have to be good to start, but you have to start to be good. I'm so grateful for you and if no one's told you lately, you are loved, you are amazing in every way and you are worth fighting for. As always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and make an impact and live the extraordinary life.